I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, the 1,028th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we talked about the series finale of Showtime's political reality show, The Circus. And we talked about how they were exuding a clueless sort of confidence at fine eateries in Los Angeles and Virginia and New York and Las Vegas, drinking cold beers and Aperol spritzes and fine red wines and very expensive tequila out of paper cups at the MSNBC studios. What a time they were having between moments of expressing their sheer panic about what would befall the country 
after their show left the air. What would become of us in 2024? They seem to be starting to wrestle with the fact that them telling everyone to shut up for the last eight years doesn't seem to be working. And now they're kind of rerouting, attempting to prepare for whatever the next phase will be, knowing that Trump and his supporters are going to be coming after them. They're going to be deporting all the illegal aliens brought in over these many years of the slave trade at our southern border. Trump is going to be looking to dismantle the administrative state, the federal bureaucracy, and the federal workforce, using all the tools at his disposal. We're going to be pursuing election fraud and holding people accountable for these rigged and stolen elections. And despite everything that they've thrown at MAGA for the last eight years, from the Russian collusion hoax and the very fine people hoax to the Ukraine impeachment hoax and that whole very deadly pandemic thing, all the way through the stolen election, the very violent insurrection, these nonsense foreign wars and the full weaponization of the U.S. Justice Department to pursue the regime's one and only true threat, Donald J. Trump. These people know what they've done. They know what the regime has done. They know that there will be people taking power and looking to seek accountability for all of it. So it all needs to be reframed. They need to work the old switcheroo once again. And we're going to watch them attempt it in real time. It's going to be up to us whether or not they're successful. Are we able to recognize this and call it out and counteract it in real time as they are trying to convince the public of an alternate reality to prepare a false history for people to look back on in the future? One where they are the good guys. They are the heroes. They are the ones standing up to this evil Donald Trump and all of his evil supporters. It's up to us whether or not that works, and I don't think it's going to work. But the point is they wouldn't be doing any of it if they were in a position of control and comfort, if they were actually as confident as they pretend to be. But that isn't what we see in their actions. What we see in their actions is horror and desperation, the understanding that they are facing an existential crisis. And so I want to continue on with some of that theme today and try to hit a bunch of various news items that connect to that that we haven't been spending a whole lot of time on in these last couple weeks. And let's start here. This is from Sunday in the globalist regime's premier outlet, the Financial Times. Third party candidates pose new threat to Biden reelection bid. You got that? You understand that framing? These third-party candidates coming in are a threat to Biden. Now, that's quite an odd framing coming from the regime on behalf of other regime candidates. The threat is Donald Trump. The one who must be avoided and removed is Donald Trump. Anyone who's getting involved from the establishment side is getting involved to make it harder for Donald Trump to win. They're not in there threatening Joe Biden. And if a third party candidate seems to be making it more likely that Trump will win, I imagine we can expect at some point that third party candidate will drop out. But that remains to be seen. Anyway, back to Financial Times. U.S. President Joe Biden is facing a growing cast of potential spoilers to his reelection bid from across the political spectrum, complicating his efforts to rebuild his coalition ahead of a likely rematch against Donald Trump. The list of third party and independent candidates running for president 
in 2024 has been expanding, driven by the weak approval ratings of both Biden and Trump. Their poor ratings have produced a category of U.S. voters that pollsters and strategists are describing as double haters, disenchanted by both of them. Now, we keep hearing about how this group of people exists and that this group of people actually represents the majority of Americans or American voters or however they might describe it. Now, there's absolutely no doubt that there is some sizable chunk of Americans who really do not like Donald Trump. They are addicted to the central narrative. They have not broken out. They have not woken up. They believe most of the central narrative about Donald Trump. He is dumb. He is racist. He's an egomaniac. He's reckless. He's irresponsible. He only cares about himself. Blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. People who still have that view of Donald Trump are very likely committed to that view at this point. And there's probably little chance that their opinion of Donald Trump is going to change within the next year. These are the sorts of people who have gone along with what the television has said at every turn throughout the last few years. They were COVID superfans, masks, lockdowns, social distancing, little pods, the vaccine. They loved all of it. They believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. They believe their fellow citizens are domestic terrorists. And that was proven at the very violent insurrection, despite supporting all of the BLM Antifa riots the year before. They make excuses for the slave trade at the border. They are committed warmongers at this point. They believe everyone else is a Nazi while they themselves are supporting actual Nazis. They want their fellow citizens to be censored. They're in for the whole thing because they believe Donald Trump and his supporters are that bad. They are the worst possible outcome. We are the people. We are the people who will destroy the country according to this set of people. And anything to prevent that is justified. Now, obviously, that is a pretty dangerous mindset for a sizable chunk of any country to have to deal with, especially when all of those people and their views are fully aligned with these corrupt systems of power that have been in place for a very long time. These people have taken on the role of rebels and underdogs, believing they are standing up to systems of power while they are actually standing up for systems of power. They are not going to come around to Donald Trump. And if Joe Biden is there and Donald Trump is there, they are certainly going to do everything they can to support Joe Biden. Many of them are even supporting Joe Biden right now because they don't think they're going to get another option and they don't want to further weaken Joe Biden in the eyes of everyone else, their friends, their neighbors, people that might see their posts on social media. They need to be good soldiers. They need to paint a confident picture of Joe Biden. They need to make him look competent and strong as he goes into this reelection phase. But they also understand that Joe Biden is not competent and he's not strong. He's not a return to decency. The adults are not back in the room. This is not competent management of the country's affairs. They actually just went out and helped support the rigged election of an old, decrepit, demented pervert who happens to be one of the most corrupt politicians in American history. Joe Biden's career has been the career of a political mafia boss. Now, they're all happy to double down on that once again, if that's what they're asked to do, but they would really prefer a different option. 
And these aren't the sort of people who are going to get on board with a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or a Cornell West or Jill Stein. These are not the sorts of people who support fringe candidates as a reflection of their own principles. These people don't have principles. What they want is for the system of power to remain in place as it is because that's the one they have achieved personal power or status or wealth within. But they know that supporting Joe Biden in 2024 is going to be a bad brand association for them. They can't claim to be the smart people and the cool, savvy people, the ones who really understand what's going on, the ones who are prepared to do what's right for everybody and tell the hard truths while supporting Joe Biden because no one out there is going to buy it. So they need someone else to fill that role, a serious person. And that's why they are looking to people like Liz Cheney or Maybe, just maybe, Joe Manchin, Financial Times. In addition, Joe Manchin, the centrist Democrat senator from West Virginia, announced he would not seek a new term in Congress in recent days, triggering speculation that he might be preparing to launch a White House run. Manchin is considered a likely leader of a presidential ticket backed by no labels, a centrist organization. What I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together, Manchin said as he announced his retirement from the Senate. No Labels, which is led by former Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman and former Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan, praised Manchin effusively. It said it would decide by early 2024 whether it would try to assemble a unity ticket for the election and who would be on it. Senator Manchin is a tireless voice for America's common sense majority and a longtime ally of the no labels movement. And here's how Financial Times frames the impact. Whereas third party and independent candidates would draw votes away from both Biden and Trump. Some Democrats fear that the incumbent president might be the most vulnerable. Yeah, no kidding. The incumbent president is the one who doesn't really have a base. The Biden base will support absolutely anyone, which is the number one qualification for supporting Joe Biden in the first place. Supporting Joe Biden is not an act of great discernment and principle. It's what you do by default when you are served up Joe Biden and told, Here's your guy. Now, from the old perspective through which we used to view American politics, the perspective handed down to us by the mainstream media and the old political establishment, what we would have here is three distinct parties, at least three distinct parties, all vying for the presidency. But viewed with an understanding of the reality as it exists, that we have a uniparty in this country fully committed to supporting the agenda of the global regime, the picture looks a lot different. The Republican establishment has tried to take out Donald Trump. It seems that they have failed one way or another. They're going to fail if they want to rig and steal the nomination away from Donald Trump. Well, good luck. Trump will go third party and we will defeat them that way. All of this, of course, assuming that we do have a 2024 election, and I'm not sure that we can assume that. But under that assumption, the Republican establishment has pretty well been defeated. The Democrat establishment does not have a whole lot of options. They need to decide something pretty quickly. Maybe they'll get a little bump for Gretchen Whitmer with these TV shows trying to make her seem like a serious national candidate. Or maybe they'll get a little bump 
from Gavin Newsom after he debates Ron DeSantis. But regardless, it's going to be really difficult for them to replace Joe Biden on that ticket. So the Democrat establishment has pretty much failed. The Republican establishment has pretty much failed. What else can the Uniparty do? Well, they'll just erect a new branch of the Uniparty, the Uniparty Center. They have that no labels party already set up, ready to go. They just need to find the right candidates and then figure out some sort of election strategy that makes it less likely Donald Trump will be the next president. The Financial Times includes this quote from Virginia Senator Mark Warner referencing Joe Manchin. Give him his space to advocate processes and bipartisanship. I think that's a positive thing, but I can't imagine any world in which he does anything that will help Donald Trump get reelected. So it sounds like they're testing out all of the options and seeing if one could potentially work. And by and large, they're coming up empty, which helps to explain the abject horror they continue to express. Now, if you've paid attention to my show for a long time or you're the sort of person who follows this stuff very carefully, then you may have noticed that this quote unquote election cycle has been filled with all sorts of strange machinations. People are trying to figure out new and different ways to prevent Donald Trump from being elected president for the third time. And again, right now, analyzing this with the understanding that it is real, and I'm not sold on the fact that any of it is. But to the extent it is, consider what we've seen. We've seen a primary with a whole bunch of candidates who have no business attempting to run against Donald Trump. And they're clearly not doing what's best for the Republican Party. They're clearly not doing what's best for the country. And they are actively tearing down Donald Trump or attempting to in the process. They are denying that our elections are rigged and stolen, despite the fact that more evidence pours out every day. And we're going to get to some of that. They are going after Trump's record. They are going after Trump's age. They are lying about things he did. They are blaming him for things they did. And they are hoping beyond hope that he somehow gets convicted and imprisoned just so he cannot be duly elected for the third time. And that's just from his own party. We see Democrats in a catch-22 unsure what they can do or need to do with Joe Biden. They can't very well go out and admit Joe Biden's illegitimacy. They can't admit that they helped hide Joe Biden's family history of political criminality and corruption. They've sent up test balloons on other candidates, Gretchen Whitmer, J.B. Pritzker, Gavin Newsom, maybe Michelle Obama. Nothing has risen to the fore yet. There's not an appetite for any of those people across the country. They could gin up some support for one or two of these candidates. But how are they going to make it look like one of these candidates actually represents a majority of Americans? Without the propaganda operation working at its full capacity and finding success, they can't do anything. And they need the censorship regime operating at its full capacity in order to get the propaganda to work. And they don't seem to have the ability to do that right now either because they don't seem to control the X platform, formerly Twitter. And then we have this explosion of potential third party candidates. They need to do whatever is necessary to prevent Donald Trump from winning 
but it seems like they're already pretty sure he is. And they're trying to figure out how to set up narratives about how Trump and his supporters really are real, genuine Nazis just two years after they supported real, genuine Nazis. And all of this is happening while they know they can rig and steal primaries and general elections. Unless, that is, something has changed or they understand that something is going to change. Now, I have probably spent more time talking about this than just about anyone in this space. And it is kind of one of the foundational elements of this show's viewpoint, of my viewpoint, and the viewpoint of many of the Badlands contributors. I do not believe that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. And until that is fully adjudicated in a thorough way, transparent to the entire American public, I will not trust the results of any election in this country ever again. It's quite simple. And in addition to that, I have believed throughout this entire time that there will be one moment where we reach a critical mass of people understanding that our elections are stolen and it being obvious enough and irrefutable enough that they are willing to go out and admit it in public with the understanding that something must be done because you can't have a country if you don't have elections and a government that represents the people. Now, as I say that, I know there are some very smart people out there that think we may not need a government at all, depending on a few things in the future having to do with, let's say, Bitcoin and whatnot. And I find some of that absolutely compelling. But leaving that aside, if we are to have this constitutional government in any form resembling that on which we were founded, we're going to need to assure the people that we have free and fair elections. It seems very likely to me that at some point in the next year, we will have that moment. And after that moment, everything will be different. If 85% of Americans understand that our elections are stolen and that everyone in the system of power has been telling them our elections are not stolen, are they going to all go out to the polls and just vote as if everything is normal? For the politicians who told them our elections are legitimate, of course, they're not going to do that. And if the results produced by the system suggested that people went and did that, no one would believe it. And you can't have a government that no one believes in and everyone knows that no one believes in it. That would be a total breakdown of trust across society in our elected officials at any and every level. And I didn't know is not going to be good enough. Now, there have always been all sorts of avenues to get to that point, to get enough proof out in front of the American public, have a jarring change. For instance, if somehow Joe Biden just was not president anymore, whether he was removed, quote unquote, by the 25th Amendment, whether he had a health issue that removed him, whether the Democrats decided to replace him on the ticket, whatever it is that finally takes away that last defense for Joe Biden, that shield that he still maintains because everybody believes they need a strong Joe Biden to take on Trump. Once Joe Biden is no longer needed, people will stop pretending that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. There are all sorts of paths that can get us to that point 
between now and a year from now. So I would suggest potentially that all of these machinations, all this weird stuff we see happening around the elections is because the regime is worried about the infrastructure of their election fraud system. If they can't rig and steal elections, they're in big, big trouble. What do they do in that situation? How do they actually attempt to win an election or at least try to delegitimize Trump as they did after the 2016 election? It's a lot harder to do that when the country recognizes that, hey, this Trump guy had an election stolen from him and people lied about it and got more powerful through doing so. How will they keep the people distracted at that point? Are people going to just forget about elections and get focused on one of these ridiculous foreign wars or some attack on our soil or a new very deadly pandemic or whatever protest and domestic terrorism organization they're probably trying to gin up right now? Are they going to be able to get a new Antifa out of this Palestine stuff? They're going to throw everything they have at Donald Trump and his supporters next year because they are scared. They are having an existential crisis. They are very, very worried about the election system, and they are already beginning to shift priorities into framing what the next Trump term will look like. Now, the journalists in mainstream media and a bunch of the political analysts may not understand what is ahead, but the people who are talking to them from systems of power certainly do. And that stuff is being reflected in the news coverage, as we saw yesterday with the stories about Trump's deportation camps and his quote unquote authoritarian power grab, which really just amounts to flushing out all the waste and corruption in the federal bureaucracy. Now, there's been some election fraud related news over the last couple of weeks. We got word about 10 days ago that Harrison Floyd, one of the defendants in the Georgia Rico case, the Fannie Willis case, the one black American defendant who was held in that Fulton County prison. Well, his defense is going to be on the basis that Trump wasn't lying about election fraud. They were all pursuing what they knew to be true, that our elections are rigged and stolen, and he plans on introducing some of the proof of that at trial. We also have Donald Trump demanding that these trials be televised because he plans on producing evidence of election fraud and presenting it not only to the court, but to the American public. He has been saying it over and over again in his speeches, and the court filings reflect that as well. At the end of last week, Elon Musk, quote, tweeted, a post from Kanakoa the Great and tagged Community Notes, which is the kind of crowdsourced fact-checking element of X, formerly Twitter, asking Community Notes to essentially fact-check the Kanakoa post. The Kanakoa post was Tucker Carlson from years ago talking about election fraud in Georgia, the Ruby Freeman stuff, and then Kanakoa laid out a long thread about Georgia election fraud and some of the proof of it. That's Elon Musk with his 160 million or whatever X followers. One of the most powerful voices in the public conversation, a guy who can change the public conversation whenever he wants. That guy is now amplifying posts about election fraud, stuff from years ago that we have known the entire time, 
but is nonetheless breaking news to all the standard issue villagers out there who have just been going on about their lives while the country falls apart. A whole lot of people are seeing this stuff for the first time, and then naturally all the bot swarms and all the deranged communists online come in trying to fact check things, telling everybody that all of this has been debunked. Oh, this is from years ago. Don't you guys know that all of this has been debunked? Yeah, sure it has, Kami, sure it has. It's all been debunked just because the Associated Press or Forbes or Facebook's fact checkers said so three years ago. You guys were so smart and so right. It's all been debunked. Keep telling yourselves that. Keep telling everybody that. It's all been debunked. Hey, commies, virtually none of it has been debunked. Yes, there were some potential disinformation operations out there that distracted people in one way or another, maybe sent some people down some rabbit holes with nothing at the end. We all understand that you don't think any of the evidence has ever proven to show election fraud, or at least not to the courts. It's not up to the standards of the courts, you see. That means it's not real evidence. And if it's not real evidence, we can pretend that there isn't any. I mean, right, guys? It's only the country at stake. Why bother checking? Why bother with any of it? It's easier to just read a debunking. Hey, everybody. Uh, the country's okay. PolitiFact.org says these are just baseless claims. So I guess we just all need to accept that this old pervert is president now and can tell us what to do. These people just want to live as subjects. They are happy to live as subjects just to keep pretending that they've been right the whole time, which is especially strange for anonymous accounts. They could just stop lying and move on and have nice lives. No one will even know that they were deranged communists online. But they can't let it go. It's all conspiracy theory. All the people telling the big lie are threatening our democracy. And they stick with this no matter what comes out. At the end of last week, actually, in Arizona, a report commissioned by Katie Hobbs's own election task force came to the conclusion that Katie Hobbs engaged in election interference while running her own election for governor as secretary of state. But we should all just pretend that doesn't matter. Certainly Ron DeSantis supporters will pretend that doesn't matter because they love talking about how Carrie Lake lost. And that is proof that Donald Trump lost and proof that MAGA is a big loser all around the country. And what we need to do is turn back to the uniparty right con Inc brand of conservatism. And naturally, people on that side thought that they'd scored big wins. They're releasing short video clips leaked from the depositions of Jenna Ellis and Sidney Powell, thinking that they're proving that Donald Trump knew the whole time he had lost the election and was actually threatening our democracy on purpose. One of the Jenna Ellis clips going around has her talking about how someone told her that the boss, Donald Trump, would refuse to leave office no matter what. Donald Trump was determined to steal the election. He knew that he hadn't rightfully won it, and he was going to stay in power and stay in office no matter what. Apparently, that is supposed to be some big win against Trump, against the narrative. Donald Trump is that dictator that the uniparty left has always warned about. He was plotting a coup to maintain power, except that stuff didn't happen. He left office, right? I mean, right? Are they 
trying to say that he didn't leave office? Is Donald Trump in power as president right now? Is that what Jenna Ellis is implying? Well, certainly not to any of the people on the uniparty right or the uniparty left, all those standard issue villagers out there. They can't have that thought. That thought is going to cause their entire being to disassemble. They would just become a collection of molecules and drift off into the wind. So she's not saying that. She can't be saying that. What she's saying is that Donald Trump is an evil, bad, authoritarian dictator. They all believe it. They all know that to be true. So they're on board. It's cool. Apparently, they think they've got a real big narrative win there. But as it happens in literally all other cases, we'll just simply wait and then something will come out that totally refutes the point they think they've made in this video clip. And some amount of them will never see the refutation. They will never admit that their initial take on it was wrong. Everyone else will know that they're wrong. But they'll just keep on pretending, knowing that there are enough other people doing the same thing. And they will think that because a lot of people believe that wrong thing, they're kind of protected from their wrongness. But even if there is not more video to emerge, to refute the point that they're making, the point they're making is meaningless. It does not matter. They are trying to reinforce a belief that only the dumbest people in the country still hold. That is the only upside benefit from this narrative push. And this is the only upside benefit they get most of the time, by the way. They just reaffirm again for this certain set of people that Trump really is as bad as they think he is. Fewer people are in the market for that sort of thing every day. And even, even if somehow this narrative push was actually successful and effective for something bigger than that. And they were actually convincing people that Donald Trump really was dangerous. If people were like, well, you know, I didn't believe any of this stuff about Donald Trump. But now that I see this clip from Jenna Ellis, I totally believe it. Even if that happened, it still wouldn't affect the underlying reality whatsoever. We do not need statements from Jenna Ellis or Sidney Powell to tell us that there is no way Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. The underlying reality is totally unaffected by any of these little video clips. There is nothing either of those women can possibly say that could refute Donald Trump's claims about the election. You got to understand what it means that Donald Trump has better information than all of them and did at the only moments of that process that matter. Donald Trump was president of the United States in a skiff on election night watching these things happen. He has called it an insurrection. He has said before he is a wartime president. The idea that Jenna Ellis talked to someone on Trump's team who told them some sort of thing about Trump not leaving office no matter what, the idea that that affects the underlying claims about election fraud is insane. And it's worth remembering always that our election fraud conspiracy theories regarding, for instance, the machines like the ones the country watched flip votes in real time last week. All those claims used to be made by Democrats. In fact, someone tagged me into a video montage produced by a group called Fund the Audit that features two minutes of prominent Democrats saying what's wrong with these machines. 
I continue to think that our voting machines are too vulnerable. But researchers have repeatedly de demonstrated that ballot recording machines and other voting systems are susceptible to tempering. Even hackers with limited prior knowledge, tools, and resources are able to breach voting machines in a matter of minutes. In 2018, electronic voting machines in Georgia and Texas deleted votes for certain candidates or switched votes from one candidate to another. The biggest seller of voting machines is doing something that violates Cybersecurity 101, directing that you install remote access software, which would make a machine like that, you know, a magnet for fraudsters and hackers. These voting machines can be hacked quite easily. You could easily hack into them. It makes it seem like all these states are doing different things, but in fact, three companies are controlling this. It is the individual voting machines that some pose, that pose some of the greatest risk. There are a lot of states that are dealing with antiquated machines. Right? Which are vulnerable to being hacked. Workers were able to easily hack into an electronic voting machine. It was possible to switch votes. 43% of American voters use voting machines that researchers have found have serious security flaws, including back doors. We know how vulnerable now our systems were. We know, I know that hackathon that took place last year where virtually every machine was broken into fairly quickly. I actually held a demonstration for my colleagues here at the Capitol um, where we brought in um, folks who before our eyes hacked election machines, um, those that are not, those that are being used in many states. Aging systems also frequently rely on unsupported software like Windows XP in 2000 which may not receive regular security patches and are thus more vulnerable to the latest methods of cyber attack. In a close presidential election they just need to hack one swing state or maybe one or two or maybe just a few counties in one swing state. I'm very concerned that you could have a hack that finally went through. So prior to the 2020 election, Democrats knew that the voting machines were vulnerable and easily infiltrated and wide open to manipulation. And then after the 2020 election, of course, it became a conspiracy theory to say what they all knew to be true and testified to in the years prior. I can even imagine a situation where they go back to that position if the machines are still in place a year from now and Donald Trump is announced the winner in an election held on those machines. Now, for the record, if they try that, I would say absolutely go ahead. Oh, you want to audit the machines? You want to audit the entire election? Forensically audit the entire election? Count every vote in full transparency? Sounds great. You have yourselves a deal. And that's a pretty easy position to take when you, A, actually care about the integrity of our elections, and B, are perfectly comfortable with the fact that we hold majority positions. I am fully confident in my belief that Donald Trump would not only win the Electoral College in a landslide, in a blowout, but that he would win the popular vote in a landslide blowout as well. But more important than what the Democrats believe is what the American people believe. And because of all the disinformation and lies surrounding the voting machine issue, people are deeply confused about what to believe. For Democrats, they know that people on their side, including probably they themselves, have said that the voting machines are vulnerable and easy to manipulate. They believed back in 2004 that Diebold machines were used to elect George W. Bush in Ohio. And if it weren't for those election machines, we would have had President John Kerry healing the planet. 
those who pay more attention to politics would have heard all of these prominent Democrats saying that the machines could be manipulated while also saying that Donald Trump was illegitimate and that Russia hacked our election. So there were plenty of people who already believed it, but then because it was Trump, they reversed that position completely. They thought that they had enough debunkings of that position they themselves used to hold. And that certainly no one would ever find out different. No one would actually change positions on that. They would be safe. Even if they ended up being wrong, no one would punish them because they were holding the popular position, which is now the machines are just fine because it's Donald Trump. And we know that Trump can't be president no matter what. So even if we're wrong, even if we're lying, all of that is justified. I was talking about avenues toward the country at large, understanding that our elections are stolen and the machines are one of them. If people understand that the machines cannot ever in any circumstance be trusted to yield reliable outcomes, then continuing to hold elections with voting machines becomes immediately untenable. It wouldn't just be those of us who are crazy conspiracy theorists out there on the fringe who no longer trust elections held with voting machines. It would be virtually everyone. And if you accept the idea that the voting machines can't be trusted, you've already lost one of your main necessary pillars in the Joe Biden really received 81 million real lawful American votes argument. I mean, imagine the exchange. Hey, do you believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? Yes, I do. Really? Did you hear that the machines don't work and now everyone knows it and it has been affirmed in a court of law? And all that is based on a report that is now four years old. Do you still believe that Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes while knowing that the machines can't yield an accurate result? What kind of person at that point would have any justification for saying, yes, I still believe that that immediately makes the whole thing fall down. This is from the Associated Press on Friday. Constitutional challenge to Georgia voting machines set for trial early next year. The question of whether Georgia's electronic voting system has major cybersecurity flaws that amount to a violation of voters' constitutional rights to cast their votes and have those votes accurately counted is set to be decided at trial early next year. U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg, that's the sister of NPR reporter Nina Totenberg, issued a 135-page ruling late Friday in a long-running lawsuit filed by activists who want the state to ditch its electronic voting machines in favor of hand-marked paper ballots. The state had asked the judge to rule in its favor based on the arguments and facts in the case without going to trial, but Totenberg found there are, quote, material facts in dispute, end quote, that must be decided at trial. She set a January 9th bench trial, which means there will be no jury. But she also suggested that the two sides work together to reach a resolution. The court cannot wave a magic wand in this case to address the varied challenges to our democracy and election system in recent years, including those presented in this case. But reasonable, timely discussion and compromise in this case, coupled with prompt, informed legislative action might certainly make a difference that benefits the parties and the public skipping down. 
Since the lawsuit was first filed in 2017, Georgia has emerged as a pivotal swing state, putting a national spotlight on its elections. The electronic voting system the state uses, which was purchased from Dominion Voting Systems in 2019 and implemented statewide in 2020, has been the subject of outlandish conspiracy theories. Dominion has been a particular target of Trump supporters who claimed that the machines were used to help steal the election from him. The election equipment manufacturer has aggressively responded with litigation, notably reaching a $787 million settlement with Fox News in April. And we, of course, have discussed that lawsuit at length. Fox News settled that to make the case go away for both sides. The report that is at the center of this particular case, Curling versus Raffensperger, the J. Alex Halderman report, would have made it absolutely impossible for Dominion to have won that case if it had gone to trial. But Fox News can't be responsible for the case that gets the country to understand that the 2020 elections were stolen because Fox News was the organization that helped steal it by calling Arizona on election night. Back to the Associated Press. Totenberg made clear in a footnote in her order that the evidence in the Georgia case quote, does not suggest that the plaintiffs are conspiracy theorists of any variety. Indeed, some of the nation's leading cybersecurity experts and computer scientists have provided testimony and affidavits on behalf of plaintiff's case in the long course of this litigation. The lawsuit long predates the swirl of controversy that followed the 2020 election. When it was initially filed in 2017, it targeted the paperless touchscreen voting machines that Georgia had been using for 15 years. It was then amended to challenge the election system the state bought in 2019 with claims that the new system has similar vulnerabilities. So the problems with the voting machines are not conspiracy theories at all. In fact, some of the nation's leading cybersecurity experts and computer scientists provided testimony on behalf of the plaintiff's case. And as I've mentioned many times, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, part of our federal government, has affirmed the findings in the J. Alex Halderman case. All of J. Alex Halderman's report was available in this case and kept under seal, by the way. Before the 2020 elections, we finally got the somewhat redacted Halderman report like six months ago. But all of this has been known the entire time. This case has been going on for six years, and the Halderman report has been part of it for four. That means Georgia's 2020 elections and beyond were all held under the condition of knowing that their election infrastructure was insecure. Now, the state of Georgia didn't want this to go to trial. Judge Totenberg didn't want this to go to trial. Now she has set a trial date because she doesn't really have a choice, but she's hoping that the two sides will reach a compromise before then so that they can fix the problem on their terms and the rest of the country doesn't have to know that this problem ever really existed. Jumping down in the Associated Press's article. Totenberg stressed in her order that at this stage in the process, where she was considering the state's motion for summary judgment, she was required to look at the facts in a light most favorable to the plaintiffs. At the upcoming trial, the plaintiffs have, quote, a heavy burden to establish a constitutional violation, end quote, connected to the voting system. 
So basically, at this stage, she has to give the plaintiffs the benefit of the doubt. That's what's being made clear so that anyone reading this or Totenberg's order won't get the impression that something unconstitutional actually occurred. Everything's fine, everybody. Everything is fine. Even if she ultimately rules in plaintiff's favor, she wrote, she can't order the state to implement a paper ballot system. She said there are, quote, pragmatic, sound, remedial policy measures, end quote, that she could order or that the parties could agree upon, including eliminating QR codes on ballots and having scanners read human legible text using a broader scope and number of election audits and implementing essential cybersecurity measures and policies recommended by leading experts. So basically, even if she finds that these systems do violate the Constitution, she's not going to do anything about that except whatever will allow the system to remain in place. They'll basically just have to figure out a different exploit. And of course, everyone should understand by now that any possibility that the system might be taken down in some area means that the regime is planning on some new attack point. So we've got Harrison Floyd defending himself in his case on the basis that the elections were in fact stolen and certainly the Trump team had reason to believe that they at least could be. So all of their efforts were absolutely justified. Trump wants to present similar evidence to the same effect that he was absolutely doing his duty by challenging the reported results of these stolen elections. And then we've got this trial slated to begin on January 9th. We're going to start the year with a bench trial dealing with the unconstitutional use of these vulnerable machines that plaintiffs claim violate the First Amendment in their right to have their voice and express their voice through the vote and through the 14th Amendment and equal protection under the law. And so that case will likely be decided before Donald Trump's trial is set to begin. Imagine Trump coming into his trial with the voting machines already known to be incapable of producing reliable results. I mean, I have been accused a few times of having too much faith in the general public, and you can accuse me of that again. But I think once people understand that the machines don't work, it's going to be pretty strange to see the president hauled into the court, forced to defend himself for the crime of contesting obviously stolen elections. Now, unless we're talking about some deranged communist, I feel like it's pretty likely that whoever we're talking about is going to understand you can't prosecute Trump for saying the elections are stolen if they were held on machines that are specifically designed to produce outcomes rather than designed to reflect the will and intent of the American voter. I would suggest that the potential of that situation presenting itself in reality is the sort of thing that has all these wannabe elites on the Uniparty left and the Uniparty right pretty scared. Now, earlier I mentioned the censorship regime and the fact that they don't seem to have full control over it anymore. And without full control over it, it's awfully hard for them to keep their narrative front and center. It's impossible to get everybody to believe such preposterous nonsense if you're not able to fully control the information stream. And while X, formerly Twitter, is not perfect, it does represent a significant difference in the information flow 
from what we were dealing with prior to the Elon Musk takeover. Now, on the topic of censorship, you probably remember Matt Taibbi. He is the former Rolling Stone reporter who now runs a substack called The Racket. And he was one of the mainstream liberal journalists selected to roll out the disclosure op known as the Twitter files. Well, just today, he has posted what he calls the UK files special report. Part one, internal Labor Party documents link Center for Countering Digital Hate to key labor faction fake news episodes. So we've heard quite a bit about what's been happening in the United States, how the United States federal government has been involved with censoring the political speech online of American citizens and certain organizations. And now Taibbi is presenting something very similar in the UK. On July 31st, X slash Twitter filed a lawsuit against the UK-based Center for Countering Digital Hate for a, quote, series of unlawful acts. It claimed were part of a, quote, scare campaign to drive away advertisers from the X platform. So now we're talking about a pretty high-level effort here. This is the UK's Center for Countering Digital Hate trying to get advertisers not to spend money on the X, formerly Twitter, platform. U.S. media unfailingly described the suit as an attempt to evade accountability by attacking a nonprofit conducting research on hate speech. They're claiming that X is attacking this nonprofit. Big, bad, mean old Elon Musk is going after this nice nonprofit in the U.K. that's just trying to protect people from hateful speech online. The Washington Post said X, quote, without evidence, accused the Center for Countering Digital Hate of ties to, quote, potentially even foreign governments, end quote. Following a report based on the same leaked materials in the Times of London, The Racket, this is Taibbi's site, and reporter Paul Edward Holden are releasing emails showing ties between the Center for Countering Digital Hate CEO Imran Ahmed at the time, a labor official and past UK news scandals. In 2012, a future member of parliament and minister to Tory Prime Minister David Cameron named Grant Shapps was accused in The Guardian of editing his own Wikipedia account. In 2015, Shapps was again accused of editing pages of Tory rivals under the name Contribs X. The story didn't hold. Wikipedia eventually investigated and concluded Shaps and Contrib's X were not linked. Labor Party emails show that Imran Ahmed, at the time on the staff of a Labor shadow minister, coordinated the Shaps story with a Guardian reporter. Randeep, Ramesh, and I have completed our investigation into a new suspected Shaps identity, Contrib's X. Wikipedia's corporate team have accepted that this is a sock puppet after we collaborated. That is a quote from an email from Ahmed to labor colleagues suggesting advanced planning, not just with The Guardian, but also Wikipedia and signs that Ahmed and labor were the sources. Ahmed asked a colleague for advice, quote, as a hack on how we structure this ASAP, adding, quote, the story will either run as a wiki suspends or a bigger, harder story on Shaps admitting to the use of the sock puppet. 
So basically, all of this is sounding like a takedown attempt by this man named Imran Ahmed. Email from a former Labor Deputy Press Director shows care to avoid arguments of fact, quote, stick to accusations and claims, he wrote, adding, quote, if it comes to a choice between indignation and mockery, choose mockery. In an episode dubbed Brickgate, supporters of Jeremy Corbyn were accused of throwing a brick through the office window of centrist member of parliament Angela Eagle and of making homophobic statements toward her. Emails show involvement of Ahmed and Labour with this story as well. After claiming to have come under withering, bigoted abuse by Corbyn supporters, one email from Eagle suggests that an offhand mention that Corbyn was married might be a, quote, heteronormative slight. When a local blogger with limited circulation published Ahmed's picture, Ahmed complained that amid the febrile atmosphere around the case, the picture, quote, puts me at risk. Ahmed, who's CCDH, that's the Center for Countering Digital Hate, says it's, quote, straight out of the authoritarian playbook to, quote, silence anyone who criticizes, asked party officials if they'd take action against his critics. One critic's bullying offense, asking Ahmed if he was the source in the Brick story. When independent reporters showed that Brickgate was based on dubious evidence, Ahmed fumed that critics were, quote, picking up considerable steam in conspiracy theory channels. Ironic, since Brickgate was the conspiracy theory. The CCDH is a prominent character in the Twitter files, often seen kickstarting campaigns accusing various individuals and groups of bigotry on dubious evidence, often in close partnership with media. In one instance, a Twitter official asked to have a series of tweets actioned within 30 minutes. Posts included an anodyne Robert F. Kennedy Jr. statement about transparency and robust science and a joke tweet about a Krispy Kreme promotion. Holden's research and documents show the CCDH began as the activist arm of the labor faction backing Sir Keir Starmer, a man the Times described as destined to be Britain's next prime minister. Future document releases in this series will detail the rise of CCDH, its links to Labor Together, the construction of the campaign to tie Jeremy Corbyn to anti-Semitism, and the honing of its guilt-by-accusation method, among other things. So as this story unfolds in the normie sphere, as this soft-disclosure info-op continues on, the general public should be reaching the point where they understand what we've understood now for years. This is not just a matter of private companies censoring in order to protect their business model. What the public has now seen proven in the Twitter files, yes, we had evidence long before that, is that the government was coordinating with these private companies. Then a couple weeks ago, Elon disclosed to Joe Rogan and a massive portion of the American public another thing that we have already known for a long time, which is that Twitter and these other social media companies were never really private companies in the first place. And so what we have is the government coordinating with private companies in order to censor the speech of Americans in direct violation of the United States Constitution. 
Not only is the government not allowed to censor speech itself, it's not allowed to delegate the censorship of speech to private organizations, not that the organizations are private in the first place. And now we see that it wasn't just an effort on the part of the American federal government. It was actually a global effort on behalf of the global regime to censor people, not just in the United States, but worldwide in order to protect their particular political interests. You got to wonder if the public will ever figure all of this out. Now that it is all directly in front of their faces, all pieced together, they don't even have to piece it together on their own. They're just being shown, hey, these are all the pieces that go together. Can you place them next to each other? And people are like, ah, gosh, that sounds like how conspiracy theories start. And that's when you just throw up your hands and you say, oh, okay, Kami, I guess it's just not going to work. You're not going to make it. I'm sorry. We've tried. We've tried our damnedest, but you're not going to make it. But ah, we can never give up on all these communists. We might be able to turn them into redeemable communists. And maybe one day they will actually provide some sort of benefit to society. And we say, come on, Kami, just sit down next to me and have a listen to this. You know, old Governor Kathy Hochul in New York, right? She was the person who became governor when Andrew Cuomo was removed as governor. And then she became one of the most deranged authoritarians in all the land, despite having never been elected. And to be honest, she kind of has a point. She could just be like, well, Joe Biden wasn't elected either. Why can't I act like Joe Biden? All right, Kathy, you got it. And then, of course, she had an election in 2022, which she totally won over Lee Zeldin. Yes, New York is victim to massive and extraordinary election fraud. And you might say that's not possible. New York is a blue state. It's not unusual when Democrats win in New York, to which I would say, hey, Kami, it sounds like they got you. How the hell do you know Democrats always win if the elections there are always stolen? You think they just started getting stolen a couple of years ago? No. Don't believe me? Go check out Marley Hornick and New York Citizens Audit. You can actually find them on X, by the way, at NY Citizens Audit or go to auditny.com. Go through all that stuff and then tell me that New York votes Democrat. Anyway, let's check out this lunatic, Kathy Hochul. Also, we're very focused on the data we're collecting from surveillance efforts, what's being said on social media platforms. And we have launched an effort to be able to counter some of the negativity and reach out to people when we see hate speech being spoken about on, on online platforms. Our media analysis, our social media analysis unit has ramped up its monitoring of sites to catch incitement to violence, direct threats to others. And all this is in response to our desire, our strong commitment to ensure that not only do New Yorkers be safe, but they also feel safe. Now, that little speech was given after meeting with New York State's Jewish leaders and local law enforcement and federal authorities to discuss the state's efforts to stop hate crimes. They're all worried about anti-Semitism because of this whole Israel thing. So now that is the justification to expand the surveillance state and monitor the speech of citizens. 
I guess, to take some sort of potential action against them if they are believed to be spreading hate online by whatever terms it's decided qualify as spreading hate. Now, normally one would think that Republicans or people on the right, patriotic Americans who actually care about the country and the Constitution and our civil rights would be speaking out against this and how wrong something like this is. <laughs> but we can't do that now because Con Inc. and the Uniparty Right Establishment are fully on board with whatever Israel wants to do. They don't argue with any of it. The more killing, the better, as far as Con Inc. is concerned. And we have discussed that at length over the past few weeks. It has also been clear that the Uniparty Right and all of these quote-unquote conservatives have become major proponents of cancel culture. After decrying it for years, they have all decided, well, now that people are saying mean things about Jews, we're going to have to adjust our views on cancel culture so that we are able to ruin these people's lives and then show others, hey, your life will be ruined too if you don't stop saying those things. Now, hey, maybe the censorship and the shaming and the silencing campaigns, maybe all that'll work. But of course, that would defy what we've seen over the last few years, which is that stuff not working at all because they don't have the proper control on the information flow that they would need to be able to make that work. And instead of this whole cancel culture thing going well for them and actually helping the cause they're pretending to help, it's very likely that people will just understand all of these quote unquote conservatives to be lying hypocrites and total sellouts to Israel and to the Uniparty Right establishment. And something tells me that's not going to help them too much in terms of the anti-Semitic tropes. And you would have to imagine that they're kind of okay with all of that based on the switcheroo they're going to be looking to pull after Donald Trump becomes once again recognized as the duly elected American president. If all of these elitist members of the Uniparty establishment are able to reframe themselves as victims based on these anti-Semitism narratives, that's only going to help them in their effort to paint Donald Trump and MAGA as the real Nazis, even after everyone knows they just spent all of 2022 supporting Nazis. And to take just a short tangent here on these Ukrainian Nazis, Things in Ukraine have not been going well for the regime. Last week, the Washington Post came out with a big article, and we've had more reporting from Seymour Hersh. The bombing of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, that whole story that definitely happened and is definitely now finally being portrayed in its true form to the American public. Well, that bombing has been attributed to Ukrainian actors like we've been told multiple times before, but it was only them. It was no one from the global regime, no one from the CIA, no one from UK intelligence or anything else. It was just a senior Ukrainian military officer named Roman Chervinsky, who, according to the Washington Post article, is a decorated 48-year-old colonel who served in Ukraine's special operations forces. He was the coordinator of the Nord Stream operation. People familiar with his role said, managing logistics and support for a six-person team that rented a sailboat under false identities and used deep-sea diving equipment to place explosive charges on the gas pipelines. 
And that is totally believable from the people who initially tried to sell us on the idea that the Russians had bombed their own pipeline. Chervinsky, by the way, for his part, says that any insinuation that he was responsible for the Nord Stream 2 pipeline bombing is a product of, you guessed it, Russian disinformation. And sticking with Ukraine for just a second, one of the articles up on the front page of Real Clear Politics was a piece from the LA Times yesterday by a woman named Tamar Jacoby, who works for an organization called the New Ukraine Project. This is an offshoot of the Progressive Policy Institute, an organization with offices in Washington, D.C., Brussels, and the U.K. So just about the most globalist thing you can possibly imagine, and one of their senior fellows is a Pfizer guy. Here's the new Ukraine project, by the way. The new Ukraine project is devoted to helping Ukraine secure its independence and take its place in Europe as a fully free and democratic nation. The project is tracking Ukraine's progress as it strengthens civil society, tackles the corruption inherited from the Soviet era. You get that? Even the Ukrainian corruption right now is the fault of Russians from 40 years ago. Rebuilds the economy and creates new constitutional safeguards and political institutions to protect individual rights and liberties. And for the record, that sounds exactly like George Soros's project for Ukraine that is now over 10 years old. The project will also challenge Western nations that have helped Kiev defend itself to stay engaged when the fighting stops and Ukraine starts to rebuild. The project will highlight the continued need for humanitarian and financial assistance, refugee settlement and military aid and explore ways to speed Ukraine's accession to the European Union and eventually NATO. So they are trying to accomplish all the global regime's projects for Ukraine, despite the fact that Ukraine is being destroyed right now. Finally, the project will monitor the effects and aftermath of the war, including the traumatic violence inflicted on the Ukrainian people and international efforts to hold Russia's autocratic rulers accountable for an unprovoked war of aggression. It will track efforts to establish a new international court for prosecuting Russian war crimes and make the case for maintaining economic and technological sanctions to inhibit Moscow's ability to threaten others in Europe. So they want everything they can possibly get from every other quote unquote Western nation in order to be able to defeat Russia in this war. And then after that, they want to establish a new international court so that they can prosecute Russians. I mean, when you remember that there's been an ethnic civil war happening in this contested area of Ukraine on Ukraine's eastern border with Russia and that those provinces are already considered independent, these people start to sound absolutely insane. Anyway, this woman, Tamar Jacoby, wrote this piece in the L.A. Times where she was reflecting about how the mood in Ukraine has changed since a couple of months ago when she left, especially now that the Israel situation is going on. She wrote, the mood in the city was subdued. As one of my friends puts it, this is a dark moment. An early burst of support for Israel, huge blue and white flags projected on landmarks and billboards across Ukraine, had subsided into worry. Would the fighting in the Middle East steal the world's attention? 
with winter approaching and more of last year's brutal blackouts looming. Stores were filled with shoppers buying bottled water and canned goods. The residents of my apartment building chipped in for an industrial generator. Perhaps most striking after nearly two years of rousing leadership by President Volodymyr Zelensky and his government, the official tone had shifted dramatically. The revered commander of the armed forces, General Valery Zaluzhny, conceded in an interview that the counteroffensive had reached a stalemate. Zelensky objected to the use of the word, but he spoke solemnly about the darkening mood. It is important for people to understand that what weighs on their hearts is seen, he noted, freeing many people to open up about their doubts and fears. So everyone in Ukraine is essentially admitting at this point that the war, quote unquote, has been lost. It's funny, earlier in the piece, she noted that the spring-summer counteroffensive was not going as quickly as they had hoped at the end of September. You know, that counteroffensive that wasn't really happening and then got delayed and then the plans got leaked and then it sort of happened but didn't really happen and then it was happening but they've only gained back like 2% of the ground and it was just ground that Russia simply left. That counteroffensive, she's still pretending and hoping that it's going to happen and that they are going to win. Jacoby worries that this new cause in Israel and in Gaza is going to take the focus away from Ukraine. And with the focus goes the financial aid and the military aid. And she finds some Ukrainians who agree with her. She says the worse the prospects on the ground, the more assistance people hope for. We can't win the war as is with the aid we're getting from the U.S. and Europe. One man said flatly. Just enough help so Moscow doesn't win, but not enough so we win. For many Ukrainians, the fighting in Gaza only strengthens their case. It's all connected, argued financial analyst Valera Kondratenko, 33. Iran, Russia, and China, any victory by any one of them, no matter how local, gives them all more confidence that they can achieve their goals with lawless aggression. So they need more money and more assistance for each one. But more importantly, they need more money and more assistance for everyone. Because if they don't win all of these, the whole world ends. That is essentially what these people are saying. But the world's not going to end. The new Ukraine project, however, just might. The multipolar world has already emerged. We see more signs of that every day with every story like this, every narrative shift like this, we can see them admitting that the project is failing. So that tangent was a little bit longer than I thought, but let's return to Kathy Hochul. She wants to shut down speech that can be classified as hate speech in order to protect the Jewish and Israeli communities in New York from words online that might upset them. Because, of course, words online become real people's thoughts and real people's thoughts become real people's actions and real people's actions become real life violence. Therefore, we cannot let people speak in the first place. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the regime getting its way is a factor of how well they are able to control the flow of information, whether or not their propaganda regime is fully active and effective and whether or not the censorship regime is able to stop the proliferation of counter-narratives. The outlet MintPressNews.com has been doing some fantastic coverage on the propaganda and censorship regimes, and they have been for quite a long time 
around many different issues. But right now they are focused on the Israel-Palestine thing. Their account on X, formerly Twitter, yesterday tweeted out this short thread. Wall Street and Hollywood billionaires organized to raise $50 million toward a media blitz campaign to counter growing opposition to Israel's war on Gaza, led by Zionist oligarch Barry Sternlicht. The $50 million would fund billionaire oligarch Barry Sternlicht's Facts for Peace project to sway public opinion about Israel, and he's courting Google CEO Eric Schmidt who has a close relationship with Israel's Benjamin Netanyahu. And they also mention involving Dell CEO Michael Dell and financier Michael Milken. These four men have a combined net worth of around $500 billion. The main objective of the Facts for Peace media campaign is to blame Palestinian deaths and suffering on Hamas instead of the occupier apartheid Israel. Now, obviously, you can see that Mint Press News has a bias in this situation. They are not trying to be objective. They are clearly presenting an anti-Zionist perspective. But what matters in this situation is whether or not these four billionaires really are launching this Hollywood-based media project to counter anti-Zionist narratives that may be emerging. It has become fairly clear that the pro-Israel side of this narrative has not been all that effective in the information war. And a big part of that is because the narratives they are trying to push are incoherent and break down with even the slightest scrutiny. One of the least effective narratives is about getting the 2.3 million people to leave. They keep talking about how none of these other Middle Eastern states will take all of these Palestinian refugees. And they're trying to present that as all of these other Arab states, knowing that the Palestinians are just all terrorists or at least embedded enough with terrorists. Not that any of these people really care all that much about that same problem on America's southern border, but that's how they're presenting it. So the Palestinians are really awful. None of the Arab states want to take them. We're being told that the United States now has to take them. But regardless, someone does because they can't stay where they are. Why can't they stay where they are? Well, Israel needs to attack those areas. And if these people don't leave, then more civilians will die. And because they're not leaving, it's their fault and the fault of Hamas and the fault of these other Arab states not the fault of Israel for continuing to attack regardless of the presence of civilians and unconcerned about the civilian death toll, which is, by the way, what people in conservative incorporated in the uniparty right in America are pushing. Whatever the death toll is, it's fine because Hamas is that bad and the Palestinians are all collectively guilty because in 2006 they voted for Hamas. It should not surprise anyone that the world is not buying the idea that Israel somehow becomes heroic for not killing as many citizens as they might have being the benefit of removing 2.3 million people from their homes and sending them somewhere. Now, to be clear, it's not just Mint Press News reporting this. Al Jazeera had this story a couple of days ago. Billionaires are teaming up for pro-Israel anti-Hamas media drive. Al Jazeera quotes Sternlicht as saying, 
Public opinion will surely shift as scenes, real or fabricated by Hamas, of civilian Palestinian suffering will surely erode Israel's current empathy in the world community. This is what Sternlicht wrote in an email soliciting contributions, according to the outlet Semaphore. He said we must get ahead of the narrative. Al Jazeera writes, Sternlicht's media drive aims to brand Hamas as a, quote, terrorist organization that is, quote, not just the enemy of Israel, but of the United States. The goal is to draw $50 million in private donations paired with a matching contribution from a Jewish charity. Hamas is already designated as a terrorist organization by the U.S. and the European Union for its armed resistance against Israeli occupation. This group, Facts for Peace, is being advised by Josh Vlasto, a communications strategist who previously worked for U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer and former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. The article goes on. The U.S. is Israel's strongest global ally, providing it with billions of dollars of aid annually and staunch diplomatic backing. Despite the mounting humanitarian crisis in Gaza, the U.S. government has continuously rebuffed global calls for a ceasefire and reiterated that Washington will not give Israel red lines in the war. On November 2nd, the U.S. Congress passed a $14.3 billion emergency military aid package for Israel. However, public support for the U.S.'s position appears to be ebbing, with nearly half of U.S. Democrats disapproving of how Joe Biden has handled the conflict, according to a recent poll by the AP Nork Center for Public Affairs Research. Social media giants such as Instagram, X, YouTube, and TikTok have been accused of censoring pro-Palestine voices by reducing their reach, a practice known as shadow banning. Axios reported last month that pro-Palestine posts on TikTok were being viewed four times more than pro-Israel posts. This came as people around the world have reacted with horror to the mounting death toll in Gaza, where most of the killed are civilians. Facts for Peace, the media campaign launched by Sternlich, aims to win back public favor for Israel, posting video on its social media pages blaming Hamas for the plight of Palestinians and denying claims of Israeli rights violations. Now, for the people out there who just follow the news each and every day, trying to figure out what's going on and what's being said about what's going on, people who are always consumed with the central narrative, they are just interested in the story of the day. They want to know where they should stand on that particular story. And it's usually a story about some woke stuff, or maybe it's some gruesome or disturbing video from somewhere. But for people who are looking at the big picture, what we are seeing is the cumulative result of the breakdown of their information flow. We are talking about people with a politics and with an agenda that is so toxic to virtually every normal person that they have to use lies and propaganda and censorship in order to be able to convince anyone that they should be left in a position of power. And all of that is breaking down. They're throwing whatever they can at Donald Trump, indictments, other candidates, fake news. They're prepping the narrative that Donald Trump is Adolf Hitler and all his supporters are Nazis. And despite all that, Donald Trump is as popular as he's ever been. The third party candidacy thing, that's going to be a clown show. Their position on election fraud is falling apart. The indictments are going to fail as a result of that. And the two issues may assist in the full public recognition 
of our stolen elections. The censorship regime continues to be exposed. The Ukraine narrative is falling apart. And now the Israel narrative is falling apart. Even the Israel narrative is failing right now. Imagine that your whole life depended on people believing your lies and it was finally becoming clear to you that no one actually does. You'd be panicking too. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, 
Getter, and Gab. And I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!